Views and opinions expressed by callers, guests, and hosts do not necessarily reflect those of the Black Talk Radio Network and Black Talk Media Project. Black Talk Radio is new black media for the new millennium. Reparations, conversation, reparations, conversation, reparations. Welcome to the next installment of Conversation Reparations, brought to you by Incobra, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. My name is Brother Jumoke Ifetayo. I serve as the Southeast Regional Representative of Incobra. Also serve as the male co-chair of the Atlanta chapter of Incobra, and also co-hosting with me we have. Mr. Benita Lacey. I am the female co-chair of Encobra. Atlanta chapter. Atlanta chapter and a freedom fighter. That's right. All right. Very good. So we, we decided today that we want to use this show to honor our living legend. We spoke about him before on past shows, Congressman John Conyers who recently transitioned on October 27th to the world of the ancestors and the Yoruba language, we would say Mojuba, which means we salute Mojuba, John Conyers, Congressperson John Conyers III, I mean, Jr., excuse me, John Conyers Jr. And we know that he's made a great contribution to people of African descent as his role as an activist and as a legislator in the U.S. Congress, and we know specifically his work that he has done to advance reparations, introducing the reparations bill every year since 1989 after he wrote the bill and brought it to Encobra for us to uh, get our endorsement and blessings on it, and then he's he's introduced it every year since then until he was no longer in office, and then the bill was picked up by Sheila Jackson Lee. And we also have noted before, just again to bring your attention to the fact that in 2017, on January 3rd, 2017 to be exact, um, Conyers introduced 
the revised version of H.R. 40. The new bill focuses on reparations, remedies to full comport with international standards of reparations. The commission will be charged to assemble historical and current data and findings on the continued injuries resulting from enslavement, racial terror, segregation, and discrimination of African Americans. In addition, the commission will be charged with developing policies, targeted actions to repair the injuries. These reparative initiatives will have the aims of cessation and guarantees of non-repetition, restitution, compensation, rehabilitation, and satisfaction as determined by international norms for reparations. When he introduced that bill on January the 3rd, 17 congresspersons signed on on this, the updated version of the bill, which focuses on calling for reparations remedies, and later on another 15 joined. Currently, after it was introduced this year by Sheila Jackson Lee, Sheila Lee Jackson, Sheila Jackson Lee, okay, get it right, Joaquin. Sheila Jackson Lee, I had it right the first time. It now is up to 119 co-sponsors, and which is really historic, and we haven't had that many. So today was his actual funeral in the same church where Aretha Franklin's homegoing ceremony was recently, and I haven't had a chance to look at the whole funeral. I've seen a few clips and excerpts from it. What we thought would be appropriate today is to actually share a clip from the video as well as some other video clips from John Conyers and John Conyers' life. So let's see. Let me well. Let me bring in Sister Bonita. What Hello. would you like to share with yes. us? Okay, I'd like to share a little tribute to his life and the truth to his life. It's called the Sweet Seeds of Power and Prestige and the Use of His Position to Try to Heal His People. Dearly beloved, yet yet still a man who was not perfect is how I would describe the giant of the man named Conyers in the world of reparations movement as a legislator. A light and nighter who kept relighting the fire when it became them. This is how it was described the 26-year term senator, and in no way diminishing the fact that women were harmed, but he accepted the responsibility of a man should do, and he continued to work to have others work for the benefit of the bigger goals of his people. He was a man who spent many years building awareness of the sins of America and the depth that was owed. That is our tribute to John Conyers. All right. Thank you for that. So we're going to hear from the a video that was done in 2000 where he was interviewed by the American Black Journal and so that's the uh, general video of Conyers, and we're, we're going to listen to that interview at this time. This is a great afternoon. Uh, it's important uh, for a number of reasons. But the main reason is, is that the struggle for justice goes on. That's right. It's not over with yet. And so here at this convention, uh, we're here 
to make sure that it doesn't fade away. That's right. That's right. Or some of our youngsters forget it. Right. Uh, and some of our elders, elders say that, well, uh, we, 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 we did it. We, we did our part. So we don't have to do much more. But the struggle for justice never ends. That's right. That's right. It's not going to be over, no matter what we do. And so it's with great humility and a pleasing uh, potential here for us to come together. Yes. All right. Yeah. That video clip is actually from the Encobra National Convention, the 30th annual National Encobra Convention that was held in Detroit, Michigan, where we formally uh, acknowledged Conyers for all of his work towards advancing reparations and gave him an award. And that was his acceptance of that uh, award that we gave him. So. And, and I think, and, and we're so blessed, we think that that may have been his last public appearance was at our Encobra convention in June in Detroit. He was 90 years old. <coughs> Over the years, he would come to our Encobra convention. This program convention, is made so possible. Send a, a representative to our, our program. But this was the first time that we actually took time out to honor him and give him a, an award and recognizing his long-standing work in consistency for reparations. So, my apologies, uh, brother Jamoke. No I problem, played no the problem, wrong no video, but I have the other one ready when you're ready. Yeah, let's go ahead and play that one now. Hard by Daimler Chrysler Corporation Fund, as part of its commitment to provide information on important contemporary issues. To public television viewers nationwide. And Bank One, offering many investment options to meet your specific financial needs. President Clinton marked Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday this year by urging Congress to spend $695 million to step up civil rights enforcement and expand the federal hate crimes law to protect homosexuals, women, and the disabled. Welcome to the American Black Journal. I'm Daryl Wood. Does today's civil rights agenda still serve the needs of the African American community? Does the inclusion of homosexuals, women, and the disabled dilute the cause of blacks? Coming up, we'll talk to the Dean of the Congressional Black Caucus, John Conyers, about these issues and others on American Black Journal. Welcome to the program. For more than 35 years, Congressman John Conyers has fought for social justice and economic opportunity. In 1997, he introduced H.R. 40, the Commission to Study Reparations Proposal for African Americans Act. 
Will America ever pay reparations to the survivors of the African-American slave trade? Has the civil rights agenda been diluted? Congressman John Conyers joins me to answer these and other questions. Congressman Conyers, thanks for being on this edition of The Journal. What a pleasure to be with you again. Thank you, sir. I want to start off by speculating. Speculating that our civil rights agenda in the year 2000 is a limited front, if you will. By that, I mean, do we really need to continue at this point in our history as African Americans, as full American citizens, continue to speculate on and fight for enforcement of civil rights? Well, civil rights has been going through a transition, as you suggest. Uh, but to me, it's moving into the era of human rights uh, because once you make the separations between de jure and de facto segregation, that that is put in place by law and that is, that is by custom and practice, then you begin to uh, move into wider areas. And I think the entire civil rights movement is thinking about the, the movement that we're making. Now, putting it with the year 2000, uh, the whole country is going through another transition of its own. Uh, we're, we're deciding right now whether or not we're going to allow the clock to be turned back on some of the civil rights gains. Uh, it's no secret that I viewed uh, two reconstructions in our history. Uh, that of uh, uh, 18, six, after 1865, but that that came in 1964 and 1965 with the Civil Rights Act and the Voter Rights Act, which really redefined of necessity. Now, we have the Constitution. We have the Bill of Rights. We have all of the amendments, 13, 14, 15. Mm -hmm. But we still weren't getting there. Uh, African Americans in terms of political progress, voter participation, de facto segregation, we were still surrounded with many challenges that had not been resolved during the era of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. One or many critics have suggested that in that regard we have reached a point of saturation and we cannot really attack or change what is in the hearts and minds of people throughout these United States who hold institutional power. But what we really need to do at this point in time now is struggle along on the economic front. How does that complement what you're doing or how does that frustrate what you're doing? Well, it blends into the whole, the whole progress thing because uh, actually even concentrating on the economic front we're going to have to deal with the hearts and minds of people. We can't, we can't get away from it. Uh, and uh, that's what uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson's doing with the Madison, the Wall Street Project. Uh, uh, that's what's going on in terms of many new emphasis in terms of economic development that go beyond the concept of set-asides. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but, but that is a front that is developing as well. Now, uh, at the same time, we're beginning to look at things like uh, 
the disability, the rights of disabled people? Or what about people who are incarcerated uh, and have class action suits that are being cut down? Mm-hmm. Uh, what about uh, people that can't get proper health care uh, because they are in a shunned class, HIV or AIDS. And what we're seeing is that all of these things, uh, including the way we treat people in and out of our prison situation, are human rights questions. Uh, The economic rights questions are blossoming too. So the fact that the old standard civil rights uh, struggles are changing uh, we're we're moving into a new century and and this this thing is evolving but essentially we're still working on uh, people's hearts and minds and I still insist that it starts with government example it can't start with the private sector mm. the private sector is is a uh, subject to uh, uh, SEC and the antitrust rules and the tax rules and fair employment rules and EEOC provisions. And what, what I'm trying to do in this new century is to move us forward into these new avenues and you don't have to put a label on it. It's mm. not necessary some to would qualify. Some would fear that you don't put a label on it. And, and that addresses itself to the concept of dilution of the civil rights struggle or dilution of the black cause, if you will. Uh, the struggle that ensued from 1953 forward was seen as a black struggle. Moving forward in time to where we are today, many of the gains that have been made and now are created for other groups like women, gays, imprisoned Americans and others, certainly not limited to those groups, but many others, the disabled included, would seem to have the net effect, some would argue, of diluting the black struggle. Is the human rights struggle in some way a larger frame of reference that will in effect dilute what has been typically seen as the black struggle. Yes, and, and, and there's no question about that. But the uh, irony of it all is that we find that African Americans are predominant in most of the, and many if not most, mm-hmm. of all of these things that we're developing. Take, for example, the uh, I- increased incarceration of uh, women. Well, that's going up. But the increased incarceration of African-American women is going up higher than the overall increase. Mm. Uh, when, we, when we study about uh, uh, education, uh, we find that without affirmative action programs, they nosedive. Uh, but we also find that it also may have some uh, harmful effect on others as well that, that can be cut out. So what we're saying is that if it's right, it's got to be right, and that we don't need the label as much as we need the progress. Mm. And I think, that's, I think that's an important direction. Uh, we, we take the, uh, the battle in South Carolina over whether uh, we should have the flag that lost 
sitting, standing on the state capitol with the flag that won. Mm -hmm. uh, we, we find now that many people realize that this is not just offensive to African Americans. Uh, there were, was a surprising percentage in a huge turnout of non-African American, non-people of color who were there protesting that this flag should come down for reasons that go beyond whether you're black and personally offended by the Confederacy that would have kept us enslaved. Civil rights agendas are being argued all across the country. The president has chimed in with a plan to spend upwards of $695 million for aggressive enforcement of civil rights legislation and initiatives. That in itself would seem to indicate that while Washington has some commitment to the subject of civil rights and the protection of those rights, again, the concern is, is that the front on which those monies will be spent will have little effect on the ills that still plague, quote, the black community, unquote. How are you addressing yourself to those concerns? Well, when we look at where that money will go inside the Department of Justice, it'll be the Civil Rights Division. When you look at the Civil Rights Division, you see that it's broken down to deal specifically with problems that affect African Americans more so than anyone else. And what, what the President Clinton is trying to correct is something that has been an old tactic that has been used against us for a long time. Merely uh, starve with res the resources of the one part of the government that could be doing the job for us. So the Civil Rights Division inside the Department of Justice has been uniquely underfunded, under-resourced for many years. Mm -hmm. And un until that comes up, I think, I think we, had, uh, we have maybe about less than two dozen lawyers uh, fighting uh, EEOC cases across the country, uh, some of which are, are massive. Uh, we have uh, church burnings, which come under uh, the Civil Rights mm -hmm. Division. Uh, they, we, we, we don't, they're still going on, by the mm -hmm. way. And we don't have enough lawyers to begin to deal with all of these kinds of questions. Uh, we have affirmative action challenges in which, uh, in some of the cases, the Department of Justice comes in as either a party or as an amicus. Mm -hmm. And so in these circumstances, we find that the resources are the test. If you don't have the, 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 the men and women to put on the line, then you can't do the job. And so I think it's a very important uh, theme mm -hmm. that is being raised in this campaign. And I'm happy to see that people are racing to get there, too. S some of the people who haven't been helpful in the past. Perhaps a positive development. Perhaps there are many splintered sides to that observation. We'll talk about that and a very important piece of legislation that you're working on right now when we continue this discussion. When the Journal continues, we'll have more with our guest, Congressman John Conyers. Stay with us, and of course, you are watching American Black Journal.
civil rights in general and certain aspects of the civil rights struggle pertaining to black interest in particular. You think it's a good thing that we're moving toward or that you, as you say, are moving us toward many avenues in what you see now in the year 2000 and beyond as a human rights struggle. You are behind legislation for improved health care in this country. You are behind legislation to enact or amend hate crimes laws in this country. You are behind legislation, most notably and specifically, which is not new, but is out there now in creating active dialogue, in particular H.R. 40, to address the issue of reparations for African Americans whose ancestors were enslaved in these United States. Let's take that one in particular for the time being and talk about it just briefly. H.R. 40, where does it stand now and what kind of substantive progressive dialogue is it really generating? The whole concept of reparations always gives my subject matter, H.R. 40, a boost when it's used in a modern context. Mm -hmm. uh, when, uh, as recently, uh, those in the Holocaust who were forced to work in uh, the plants, the German plants, some automobile plants even, uh, uh, were, there were reparations mm -hmm. that were negotiated out. As a matter of fact, some of our uh, government officials played a very key role, uh, Mr. Eisenstadt, uh, in negotiating this out. And so the whole question of what, what about the uh, cruelest, longest, mm -hmm. most punitive holocaust of all time, the period of African enslavement uh, in this country. Uh, and there we, we, we get into a non-dialogue, mm -hmm. silence. And what I've tried to do is determine what would be the best strategy to uh, raise this up? In Washington, we debate everything. Uh, uh, the furthest reaches of the, the cosmos, mm -hmm. uh, the, the tiny microbacteria in the water. Uh, we hypothesize to and fro uh, and some all the time. And some would say that we, we, we never seem to get beyond that part of the process particularly where this issue is concerned. And I just want to invoke the memory of a more recent episode in history to try to put this in some perspective. June 21st, 1921, northeastern Tulsa, Oklahoma, the Greenwood Street District. Yes. Whites created a riot for 36 to 42 square blocks in that area, destroying what was called Black Wall Street for reasons to this day that are still unannounced to the masses for why it actually happened. The best guess is that the prosperity economically in that district, which was unparalleled in that region at that time, created a kind of animus that brought down this kind of rage on this community. Now, I speculate when I say that, but in addition to that, discussions more recently have taken place as to how shall we redress the people who were adversely impacted. Anywhere from 300 to 1,500 blacks are estimated to have been killed in that race yes. riot. And in addition to that, no economic redress has ever been made. The discussion, as I said again, has now been put forth that some redress could possibly be made to the direct descendants and first-generation descendants of that particular siege. However, that's not the same as 150, 250 years of enslavement where we have a trouble 
addressing who the direct descendants actually are. Right. How do we? How do you? How do you reconcile the difference? Well, I I want to commend you for pulling out that Oklahoma example uh, because in Rosewood, Florida, we were able to deal with that subject. Mm -hmm. And and actually, the Tulsa uh, tragedy is actually one that could be dealt with uh, quite easily were there an inclination to do the right thing. Mm -hmm. Indian uh, tribes have been subject to numerous uh, reparations. Reparations are mentioned uh, from Kosovo uh, to Israel uh, to Alaska. Uh, it's, a, it's a common uh, diplomatic strategy that has been used from time immemorial in our mm -hmm. history. Now, it, it may require a little more unique application of the theory if there is a debt, if there is a seeking of an apology, if there is an offering of an apology, if there is a desire for atonement, then we may, we may create uh, out of this a different kind of reparations because there have been discussions now held, and I'm so proud that these discussions are now coming forward without any prompting out of uh, universities, out of think tanks, mm -hmm. out of, uh, of uh, uh, writers and creative people just being drawn to the subject matter. And what's happening now is that we now have a literature on African reparations for enslavement in America, how it would happen, and why it would happen, and who it would happen to. And this takes me out of the uh, difficult initial task mm -hmm. of writing a reparations bill that, that people could say, well, I support this, or I want this one, or I want that one. We're so uh, beginning in our dialogue, so new in this discussion, that I don't want to give you the Conyers solution to reparations mm -hmm. uh, for America. What I do want to give you is the opportunity for us to have an official study and discussion of this for the first time in our history. Mm. And if we do that with uh, carefully appointed members of a commission who would not only do their own work, but would conduct hearings around the country for all Americans so mm -hmm. that this is not just an intelligentsia uh, resolution of the problem, but the people uh, with all views would be heard, then we would have the first official body of literature on this in the United States history. How can we get beyond, that is, we, those who advocate historic reparations, that is, reparations for enslaved Africans in America, how do we get beyond the congressional gridlock? Because if we're, if we're building a foundation of intelligentsia, literature, and support nationwide, the battle must still be won in the Congress. Exactly. Where and how do we break the gridlock? Well, the same way we broke the gridlock with the Martin Luther King bill that I introduced, uh, when uh, people would say, I'll join your bill, John, but I, I know you can't get it passed, but I'm going to join it anyway. Uh, 
Now, in the case of Dr. King, uh, I didn't have to make an argument for his greatness, his contribution, his brilliance, his courage, mm -hmm. his contribution to the nation and to the world and to his people. Now, here in reparations, it's a little, it's a little mm -hmm. further back. It's one step removed, at least. And so here the case has to be made. And, and it is true. You're right. This has to go through Congress mm -hmm. because it's going to be uh, legislation that will have some appropriation, some uh, a budget requirement attached to it. And therefore, we have to treat it like we did uh, civil rights legislation, the right to vote, and, and uh, everything else that mm -hmm. ultimately becomes law. If there was some way to get around it, I'd be, I'd be the first to... to uh, to do it. Too bad you don't have the power to write an executive order. Well, well, even an executive an executive order would be mm -hmm. very helpful, mm -hmm. uh, and we've we've gotten pretty close to that. I mean, uh, I was in the White House when the president uh, signed the uh, order uh, for the Tuskegee, the the ignoble Tuskegee mm -hmm. experiment, and which he brought. Uh, all of those, there were sur some survivors and the family, mm -hmm. and there wasn't a dry eye in the White House when One, they figured out how to do that. Again, the, the, the chief difference being that these were people who were there. These are people who have direct descendants right in line beneath them. And so we can see their contribution, and we can see the effect of reparations or an acknowledgement or an apology we are a long way from that on the issue of reparations for enslaved Africans, and I wish we had time to discuss the strategies, but we have to leave it here for now, Congressman Congress, and I thank you for being well, here. Well, you, you've raised the, the single issue that we need to be working on, mm -hmm. and I, I think that that can be dealt with, too. I'm confident of it. Thanks again for being here on this edition of the American Black Journal. Always pleased to join you. That's all for this week. If you'd like more information on the subjects discussed during this program, send us email at abj at wtvs.pbs.org or call the viewer hotline at 313-876. to the Black Talk Radio Network. For podcasts and live program scheduling, visit us on the web at blacktalkradionetwork.com. All right, so got to hear a pretty good interview there of him speaking about different issues and politics in general, and of course ending on the note of, of reparations. Uh, I just want to add to the conversation, though. I think that you know we have to always be clear that reparations is not just about slavery, but it's continuing vestiges from Jim Crow to segregation to continued oppression and. Uh, that happens right now today that continues to happen uh, every day and so that we we do have victims we do have people who have been um that are, we all are really but we we have some people who have some more say traumatic stories that could be told whether we're talking about eric garner whether we're talking about michael brown whether we're talking about so many other examples of people who have uh had to fight racism as it relates to their job situation or, or relate to uh, redlining and not being able to get a home or get a loan for their home and so many different things. So we, we, we do have victims. We do have stories that can be told in the present, not just from slavery. Brother Jamoke. 
Yes, if I may add, um, I really appreciate it. In that, in, first of all, I appreciate you finding that interview and and sharing it with the audience tonight. Um, you know, I had never seen that interview and um, lots of interesting things. But as a um, new abolitionist, meaning a modern abolitionist who looks at the Thirteenth Amendment as not having abolished slavery, but just simply uh, created a new form through the prisons sure. and what have you, I really appreciated um, um, uh, Representative Conyers mentioning what our people are going through in what I call prison slavery, when you talk about what you were just mentioning about people having traumatic stories and what have you, I'm like, man, I've heard some very, very, very terrible, not just stories, but it's been documented of, you know, the conditions um, in these prisons in the United States. Yeah, yeah, you made me think about uh, Khalif Powder. Um, a young man who who, who was held in, in, in Rikers prison, um, just held there, I guess, before his court case or whatever, and, you know, was physically abused and, 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 and had, um, you know, I think he was there maybe a couple years, and then he was finally released, still never charged, and, you know, had a very difficult time reintegrating back into society because of just how abusive that situation was and ended up committing suicide, you know, and again, he may be somewhat of a rare example, but then again, maybe not so much. It's just one that we have heard of. There's maybe maybe many more that we haven't heard. So yeah, the prison industrial complex is definitely um, modern day slavery and definitely, you know, a way that, that we are continually to be oppressed in the in 2019, not just in 1860. Yeah, thanks for bringing that in. All right. So at this time, I wanted to, I think we, yeah, we have enough time to hear from uh, another Detroit legend from Stevie Wonder who spoke at the home going today, other people who were there, um, some other notables was uh, Bill Clinton and Jesse Jackson, Isaiah Thomas, and I mentioned Sheila Jackson Lee and others who attended the home going for Kanye's. So even though it was just today, we, we were able to pull down a clip from uh, Stevie Wonder's presentation. So let's go ahead and bring that forward. Yeah. <clears throat> had some thoughts and I um, sort of put some things down that I was feeling. Um, And um, even though it's a very, very, a very deep moment for me, I was here just over a year ago in this church. And um, celebrating the life of of Aretha Franklin. And it was truly a, a blessing to know that 
in my lifetime the pleasure of not only hearing such an incredible voice but meeting such a wonderful person as Aretha Franklin. I never imagined that as well in this life of mine I would have the pleasure of meeting someone that I as a little boy of 10 years old remember hearing that voice of a man who to just recall a song that Aretha did called Climbing, Climbing Higher Mountains, Trying to Get Home. This man spent his entire life climbing mountains. Not only to get us home, to get himself home, but to get us home. Not only African-American people, but people of the diaspora, Africans. People that didn't even like him, that were against him. Forgetting their origins is as well from Africa. Yes, people that never imagined in their lifetime there would be something that he made possible with his vision. In 1967, or being there a holiday honoring Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. God gave him the vision and he was a part of making us making the reality. So we celebrate this man today, but not to the level that we should have been celebrating him. Because he talked about those higher mountains, climbing them. Talking about the by and by. Well, no. As the old people talked about the by and by, meaning someday we'll be away from racism and prejudice and we'll be away from the place of people not having health care. Or be away from the place where we wouldn't have equal education for everyone. Yes, the by and by in heaven. But you know, he believed and I believe in those of us who are real, true Americans of whatever color we are, know that the by and by has got to be right now.
We're living in reality right now. So many people get hung up on reality TV. Reality TV, television. When that is fake, when it's not speaking of what is real, which is right now, we're living in the real right now. We're seeing what's happening to our planet right now. We're seeing the fires right now. We're feeling the pain of it all right now. So we cannot forget that life of John Conyers Jr. because he reminded us every single day that he spoke on those things are very real. But what we can do so that we don't forget is commit ourselves on this coming celebration of Dr. King's day for those that go to work, don't go to work, do something constructive for this nation. Make sure that those of you who have not registered, make sure that you register so that you can vote. For those of you that talk about wanting to see a United States of America, a united people, don't talk about it, be about it. Yes, my heart is broken today because he didn't live to see this become a reality. But if we do everything that we can to make sure that we say, look, we're not going to live for the by and by back in heaven. We want to see it here, that by and by on earth, that heaven on earth, the blessing that God means for us all to have and share equally. That is what we want. That is what we all deserve. And if you really are committed as being a human being, forget about being an American or wherever you're from. Being a human being. Then you'll do it. And we will celebrate. And John and Spirit will celebrate with us the by and now for us all. Thank you. There's a song that um, John would always want to, when I would see him go to his house and play piano, he always wanted me to show him the chords of this song. So I want to do a little bit of the song now. That was great. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah. <clears throat> I um I did something I don't usually do, I I don't really ever do, which is I, 
I pulled that clip and didn't listen to the whole clip because I, I, I knew it was Stevie, so I figured I couldn't go wrong with Stevie. Um, and so, yeah, Stevie is very um, powerful and eloquent um, when he speaking truth to power about John Conyers. I thought there was going to be some music. I guess it got cut before the music comes. It came in. Anyway, um, again, this episode of Conversation Reparations has been in honor of John Conyers and the work that he has done as he now moves on to the ancestor world. Again, we glad that we had the opportunity to honor him and recognize him at our last convention in Detroit, Michigan with an award. You heard some of his remarks after receiving that award. We appreciate him consistently bringing forward H.R. 40. Uh, as you can see also with the interview, not something that, not in addition to him bringing it into Congress, he was also an advocate for it and, and, and spoke in different venues and interviews about why it was important to have a reparations in the United States, to have a conversation about reparations, which would move us to figuring out the details of reparations. Um, one of the things that he also did that, um, if you're familiar with the Congressional Black Caucus, every year they have a, a major forum summit in, in D.C. in September and the different congresspersons, they have workshops and panels on the different bills that they are, are putting forward or supporting in Congress. And so every year, likewise, with him introducing the bill, there was always a reparations panel during the Congressional Black Caucus, one of and most of the time he did attend those those panels as well often uh, pretty most of the time in those panels has been a member of Encobra sometimes several members of Encobra on the panel and those panels still go on again Sheila Jackson Lee continues to make sure that the reparations is uh, bill continues to get introduced every year as well as the reparations panel that happens at the Congressional Black Caucus. Actually, there were a few years, I understand there was some debate whether or not they should continue to do it. And there were activists who said, no, we, we need to keep making, we need to do it every year. And even though it may seem like there were some periods where there was some, say, lulls in the reparations movement or the reparations conversation, it, we still made sure that there was a reparations panel at the Congressional Black Caucus hearing, the Congressional Black Caucus Forum or Summit in, in September. So, do you have any, like to share with us some closing remarks, Sister Bonita? Yes, it, it is absolutely up to us to take what he started and to ensure that this generation and hopefully not the next. Hopefully the next will be receiving, and we will be have received our first payments and our first reparative actions in legislation, concessions, and et cetera. But we, it's up to us to take that mantle 
and push forward and never she did for so many years. And that's the greatest tribute that we as a people can give to John Conyers. Definitely, definitely, definitely. It's Stevie one that challenged us to do that as well. We must keep up the work. You know, and you know, I was just sitting here thinking also, um, you know, most of, a lot of times, uh, more recently, it seemed like we've been associating um, single-payer health care with Bernie Sanders. And I don't know how long Bernie Sanders has been championing it, but I know that we should, not def- we should le- definitely not overlook the fact that Conyers was, has also been championing that for many, many years, many, many, many years. Hey, Brother Jamoke. Um, it was a uh, more common conversation like it is now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was, um, I, I mean, I, I really learned a lot about um, Conyers that I didn't know before, but both of them, um, Sanders is a senator now, but he was a ho- mm-hmm. he was in the House before he was in the Senate. And both of them were, uh, him and Conyers, were part of the Progressive Caucus. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, so, you know, it's like sometimes, you know, we, 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 we recognize certain people and other people don't necessarily get their respect, you know, so, you know, we want to recognize Conyers for his work in terms of, you know, being an advocate for, for health care for all as well, you know, and you know, I often share the story with people also about Martin Luther King's birthday, which also came up, which, you know, I share with people I think is a good example because a lot of, of the possibility and the reality of reparations because he put that bill in office, he put that bill in Congress in 1968 right after King was assassinated. And and he he himself wasn't even fully convinced that it would actually be a bill, you know, I mean, passed. Uh, he he did it. He knew that he could do that as a congressperson, and, and and momentum built up around it. Just like our, you know, just like what's happening with the reparations movement. You have cities that supported the idea of of Martin Luther King's birthday becoming a, a holiday, and you had states, and you had labor unions, and different groups, and then the momentum continued to build. And Stevie Wonder got involved, and the momentum continued to build. And likewise, we see this momentum building around reparations. As as cities get involved, as as states get involved, as state legislators and city council people get involved, as as labor unions and organizations get involved or get more involved, many of them have passed resolutions over the years. Um, more more of them are uh, lifting up the conversation reparations even more than they had in the past, and so we see this momentum building. And so, and the question isn't whether reparations are going to happen is the question is just when and what form as we know it's going to happen and happening sooner than later so again we just want to um, give thanks um, to John Conyers Jr. for the work that he's done for his leadership for his example for his passion for his compassion you know as I said, and, and like to share in different languages, we say in, in Yoruba, we would say adupe, 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 which is thank you. In Swahili, we say asante, 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 which is thank you. In Hebrew, we say toda, toda, toda. And uh, in, in Arabic, alhamdulillah, or shakran, shakran, shakran. And uh, what else? Gracias, gracias, gracias. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Mercy, mercy, mercy. Spanish and French. 
and in all the ways with our heart and our spirit, but mostly with the actions that we will do with our lives. We will continue to fight for these causes that Kanye's focused on, particularly reparations as well as others. And we will we will add our force, our passion, our leadership to these initiatives uh, until we take our last breath. Conversation reparations. This has been brought to you by reparations. Conversation reparations brought to you by Encobra, the National Coalition of Blacks for Reparations in America. You can find out more information online at IncobraOnline.org. Our website is info info at IncobraOnline.org. Trying to find the phone number. Uh, you can reach us locally here in Atlanta at six seven eight four three seven seven eight eight two. You can reach me directly at reparationsj at gmail.com and 